Definition on miracles. A miracle is a less common kind of God's activity in which he arouses people's awe and wonder and bears witness to himself. We talked about that uh, a couple of weeks ago. And then the next thing on this outline that you have is miracles are characteristic, it seems to me, characteristic of the New new Covenant Age. As I read the Bible, we talked about this. Um, Jesus' miraculous signs attested that he had come from God and then the apostles and others who preached the gospel performed miracles that amazed people and gave confirmation of the gospel that was being preached. Um, and it seems to be characteristic of the New Testament church that miracles were occurring as the gospel was spreading um, and the church was growing. And so that uh, looks to me to be like uh, to be what the pattern is in the New Testament. Miracles were not confined to Jesus or to the 12 disciples or to the 70 disciples, but were characteristic of churches in Galatia and the New Testament churches generally. We talked about that. And then we talked about the purpose of miracles. They were to show that the gospel message was true, to authenticate the gospel. They were to give evidence that God is truly at work and so to advance the gospel. Um, they were to bear witness to the fact that the kingdom of God has come and the kingdom of God was just manifesting itself and expanding more and more. Um, uh, and uh, the miracles were showing that uh, the kingdom of God involved people getting well, people being healed from various diseases, people being re- re- uh, released from demonic bondage and oppression and other things like that. Um, and then miracles were to help those in need, as uh, the, the blind beggars were sitting there, and Jesus had mercy on them. Uh, Jesus had come on those who were sick. And then uh, miracles uh, removed hindrances to people's ministries. So um, uh, Peter's mother-in-law, for instance, was healed, and immediately she rose and began to serve them and to care for people as she had before. And and then to bring glory to God, the overall purpose of miracles. Uh, the crowds uh, glorified God, who had given such authority to men, says Matthew 9.8. So that, uh, that, that topic we covered uh, last week. And then were miracles restricted to the apostles? We also talked about this last week. There was an unusual concentration of miracles in the apostles' ministry. Uh, but after a long discussion, I've, I've skipped about 15 slides here, uh, the conclusion was, no, miracles weren't restricted to the apostles. The apostles were just leaders in a new covenant church whose life and message were characterized by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in miraculous ways. And the apostles, far from being unique, were rather setting a pattern that the church throughout its history may seek to imitate in its own life. Insofar as God, the Holy Spirit, is to work miracles for the edifying of the church. Now, the question comes up. If uh, you see what seem to be miracles occurring, uh, and this, of course, could come up in a missionary situation, in a tribal situation, uh, um, or other situations, seem to be miracles occurring, and you wonder, are these from the Lord, or are these false miracles? Are these from Satan or from the enemy? And how do you tell? Um, And so there are a number of cases, both Old and New Testament, where... Um, there are instances of false miracles, pretend miracles. And so in Exodus, particularly, there's a concentration of them around the time of the Exodus where the, with the plagues in Egypt. And the first plagues, apparently, somehow, they, by, by demonic power, I think, 
the, the magicians were able to duplicate some of those plagues, but then as the plagues went on, Pharaoh summoned, Exodus 7:11, Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers and the magicians of Egypt, uh, also did the same by their secret arts. There was some imitation. Uh, or in Acts 8, uh, 9 to 11, I'm going I'm to talk about how some of them they couldn't imitate in just a few minutes. But uh, in Acts 8, 9 to 11, um, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and started to preach the gospel. And uh, lo and behold, there's this magician, this pagan magician there named Simon. He had previously practiced magic in the city. It amazed the people of Syria. Now, maybe some of it was just sleight of hand stuff, but probably some of it was demonically inspired as well. Uh, and uh, they paid attention to him because they said, this man is the power of God that is called great, and verse 11, they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic, but it was, of course, false miracles. Uh, and Paul predicts in 2 Timothy 2 that the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. And in fact, uh, the prediction of uh, these wonders and signs from Satan at the end times includes this in Revelation 13, 11 to 13. I saw another beast rising out of the earth, and it had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. Now, I think... That hasn't happened yet, but I think it's that someday in the history of the world that is going to happen, where we're going to see uh, some servant of Satan working great, miraculous, apparently miraculous signs and wonders, and people are going to be amazed and say, oh, wow, uh, this must be from God. But it's not. It's a deception. How do you discern? How, if we are alive at that time and watching it, how will we discern the difference? So that's the question of false miracles. First, always remember that the power of God is greater than the power of Satan. Um, there were some of the things that the magicians in Egypt were able to do. Then, uh, as it went on, Exodus 8:19, the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. That is, uh, the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce the gnats and then other plagues they were unable to do. But they could not, so there were gnats on man and beast. The magicians said, this is the, this is the finger of God, but... Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. And in Acts 8.13, there was this Simon the magician in Samaria, but uh, as he saw what had happened with Philip, even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Uh, so the, that the power of God was much greater than these false miracles. And uh, there was a soothsaying uh, girl um, that Paul encountered in one of his missionary journeys here in Acts 16, and she followed him around, uh, kind of being obnoxious and distracting. And finally, Paul, uh, and, and people, and it says her owners had made fortunes off her by, by, by soothsaying and fortune-telling, and uh, she kept following him around, kind of being distracted. And then Paul, it says Acts 16, 18, Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you, that's the demon, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. And so there's a triumph again of the power of God over the power of the enemy. And some of you may have heard stories on the mission field where this, in fact, is true, where 
the power of uh, the Holy Spirit in missionaries is able to overcome the power of witch doctors or other kind of uh, pagan magicians and things like that. Um, and First uh, John 4, 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's uh, the Holy Spirit in us is greater than Satan or demons who are in the world, and that should give us confidence so that we would not be afraid or fearful, and also that uh, we would realize that the power of God is greater in things like this. The next thing is that the identity of these workers, false miracles, is all known through their denial of the gospel. That is, they utter blasphemies like this beast from the sea in the book of Revelation. Uh, the uh, people in Second uh, Thessalonians, um, they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. And so there's false doctrine always going along with this. And again, in of course, a missionary situation, say, a witch doctor will seek power and authority for himself uh, and will certainly not uh, acknowledge uh, the truth of Jesus as uh, the only way to God and the truth of Jesus as Savior and the one who died for our sins and things like that. So there will be a denial of the gospel. I don't think there's any indication anywhere in Scripture that genuine Christians with the Holy Spirit in them will work false miracles. In fact, uh, Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, he's writing to a church where there's been a lot of idol worship or, or pagan religion, and he says in chapter 10 uh, what the pagans sacrifice, uh, they sacrifice to demons and God. That's uh, in Corinth. There was demon worship in the city, all these temples, and, and, um, and I don't know if you've ever been to ancient Corinth. Margaret and I have been there. And you go walk down to these archaeological sites, and here's the temple to such and such a Greek god, and here's the temple to such and such a Greek god, and here. So there's all the city of Corinth. The, the street was just filled with all these temples, and Paul says, well, they're 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 you know they're going to this these temples, but they're sacrificing to demons and not to God. First Corinthians 10:20. So there was demonic activity in the false religion at uh, Corinth. And some people may have been wondering, you know, well, how much is that affecting us now that we've become believers? And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is cursed. See, that would be teaching false doctrine, blasphemy, in fact. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In other words, if they're confessing Jesus as Lord and it's a heartfelt confession, and, and there's the evidence that they're trusting in, in Jesus, then uh, the Holy Spirit is at work in them and not the uh, spirit enemy. So my answer to this is, if we, at some time in the future or at any time in our lives, if we see miracles being worked by those who make a genuine profession of faith in Christ and who believe in the incarnation, that is, God becoming man, and in the deity of Christ, and people who show the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their lives and ministry, so they're giving evidence that they are true believers, we should not be suspicious that they are false miracles, but should be thankful to God, um, even for people who may not hold exactly the same convictions we do on every point of doctrine. Well, he believes in post-tribulation rapture. How can he be working true miracles? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Or he believes elders should serve five years, not four. How can he believe? <laughs> I'm kidding you a little bit. 
but if it's genuine Christians. And um, I think God often has a surprising way of crossing denominational lines. And, um, uh, you know, there may be people that don't agree with us on everything, but if we stand together that there's a true proclamation of the gospel in their lives and they're genuine believers and if God starts to work miracles through them, then I think we shouldn't be overly suspicious. Laverne? <laughs> okay, what about these TV evangelists that sleep people in the spirit? Um, I, um, I thought about that this morning. I was coming. I knew somebody was going to ask me about that. And, and I want to say, I don't know. Um, because, I, and the reason I want to say I don't know is that I, don't, I basically don't watch them. So I don't, want to, I don't want to say something publicly about something that I don't have any real knowledge base to, to make an evaluation. So I don't know. But, but what I'm saying here, I think, applies. If it appears that they're genuine believers in preaching a true gospel, then even though they may look different from us or act a little different or use a little different vocabulary, as long as there's genuine belief in the Bible and in Jesus as the Son of God and salvation through Jesus, then my initial inclination would be to say, um, well, this is from the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, what if you see a pattern of life that is contrary to this, showing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their lives and ministry? See, then that, then that puts the thing in question more. What's going on? Um, is there a pattern of blatant sin that brings disrepute that brings reproach on the gospel. Well, that'd be a negative thing. And evaluating someone else's ministry is always hard. Um, so I want to be really careful. Um, but I think that uh, what we want to be aware of is the beast uh, in the book of Revelation. We want, to be, we want to avoid the kind of things like Pharaoh's... Um, magicians who were working in his court, weren't Christians at all. We want to beware of uh, Simon the Sorcerer in Samaria, who's just total pagan. See, those kind of things, working miracles, those are clearly false, because it's blatantly false doctrine. And other things may not be what I would prefer, but I want to give some grace um, in my evaluation. But I want to be discerning. So, but I just don't want to automatically rule them out. What else? Anybody else? Somebody's raising... Somebody's doing something over here. Okay. <laughs> Any other comments on this? Yes, Carol. We were at a small gathering where there were two ladies from California there yeah. who were healers. Yeah. And we actually... Go ahead and say it again, Carol. We were at a gathering of some friends of ours and have these two ladies from California yep. who are healers. And we actually, I mean, it was, I felt the power of the Holy Spirit yep. in the room. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't slayed in the spirit or healed. I didn't, yep. you know, wasn't there for that reason. I was there out of curiosity and yep. because they're good friends. Yep. But they follow these two ladies yep. Yep. Uh, in a kind of scary way, yeah. <laughs> their Catholic background, but I don't yeah. deny, I mean, because I did feel the Holy Spirit in the room, yeah. and, and there was Christian, I mean, Bible, 
yep. verses and Christian yep. music in the background. Yep. I I didn't feel it was of Satan either. Yep. And I have seen when we were in Malaysia, when they were, you know, satanic uh, people where yep. they were eating glass and yep. doing all kinds of weird yeah. things. And you knew it was evil. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it was. Well, yeah. I couldn't wait to get back. It was right outside our ship. And we wow. couldn't wait to get back on the ship and yeah. just start yeah. praying for those demons yeah. to come out. Yeah. I'm. I think my evaluation from what you say, Carol, and again, I want to be careful because I wasn't there, but my evaluation in both cases would probably be the same as yours. Um, these people may not agree with me completely doctrinally, but I want to be thankful. I, it seems like you know, where they're believing the Bible and trusting the Lord, thankful for what the Lord is doing. Uh, but then you get so, there's What you say about these people in Malaysia eating glass, there's another mark of demonic activity, and that is it's always destructive and harmful to the person. Um, uh, because Satan's goal is to destroy us. Uh, there'll be falsehood, there'll be abuse of people's bodies, and all sorts of, there'll be sexual immorality, all sorts of destructive stuff that goes along with the pagan miracles. Yeah, E.G.? It was actually a, a light bulb. It was a light bulb. They were, e yeah. yeah. I don't think I'm going to... Crunch it up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man, goodness. Okay, so, so there we are. What else was I going to say here? Well... Okay, um, I think it's important that I teach on this, not because I expect that some guest pastor this morning is going to start doing miracles at Scottsdale Bible Church, uh, but because we run into things like this. And quite honestly, um, because my expectation for the history of the world and the history of the United States in particular, my expectation is that sometime God is going to bring another genuine revival across our nation. And I hope and expect that, as has been true in the past, when these revivals come, and it may be even more so now, when these revivals come, they may be accompanied by a lot of miracles being worked. And we need discernment. Um, to know, you know, is this from the Lord or not? Um, so that's, I, I was, was going to say one other thing. Oh, I'll, I'll go on. I, oh, yes. Um, I, last week I asked and didn't get an answer. I'll, I'll go on to this. Should Christians seek miracles today? And I'll, I'll talk about this in just a minute. But... <clears throat> Last week I asked a kind of rhetorical question and Margaret mentioned to me afterward that I hadn't answered. I said, what if, you know, as Jesus went into a village and started all the people started healing all the people, or the apostles went and many people were being healed in villages, what if some evangelist goes into the headquarters of CNN and all of a sudden starts praying for people and they all start getting healed? Or in some Hollywood, you know, some, theater, some uh, movie uh, production studio in Hollywood, where these people start being healed uh, with, the, with the gospel of Jesus Christ being proclaimed, or headquarters of the uh, Air Public or the New York Times or the Lost Times or something like that, and people start being uh, genuinely converted, or in Congress, <laughs> or something like that, okay? Um, and I, I said, what if that happens? See, it, it wouldn't surprise me if that would happen, and I know there'd be an unleashing of incredible amount of criticism and a barrage of lies from the enemy to try to shut it down. 
but also I think there would be many genuine conversions. And that, and, it, and if revival does come to our nation, it may come that, or or in the, or at ASU in faculty offices, see, uh, or or at Harvard or Yale, or in in kind of the centers of influence of our society, it may be that God in His grace, although He is not many wise, not many powerful, not many mighty are called, are called, but God in His grace may, in fact, begin to do remarkable things through the power of the Holy Spirit that cannot be contradicted. And if so, that would result in, uh, or that would be accompanied by genuine preaching of the word, then um, we should be thankful for it. The reason I'm saying that is that I have seen in the Christian world kind of instinctive, instinctive hostility or instinctive criticism. Uh, why? Because it's different from what we've seen before. Am I making sense here? Uh, and I just... I think we're looking toward the future. So now, what about us? Should we seek miracles today? Well, number one, we talked about the purpose of miracles earlier. Number one, it's wrong to seek miracles for personal gain. Um, and here, in Acts, the story goes on, and uh, and Philip is preaching the gospel, and then he sees uh, that people are being saved, and, the, and a lot of people are being healed, and demons are being cast out, and people are being set free from their bondages. And Simon says, hey, give me this power so I, I can have some of this too. He's this, this magician. He wants some of this power. And Peter rebukes him and he says, you have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God, Acts 8, 21 to 22. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray that, if possible, the end of your heart may be forgiven you. So it's wrong for us to say, oh, Lord, please let me work miracles so I could be famous. <laughs> Or people would follow me, or something like that. And if that's any kind of a motivation in our heart, then uh, we need to have the Lord rebuke that. That's wrong. Number two, it's wrong to seek miracles simply to be entertained. Uh, and here is Herod. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. To, um, before he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him, he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So here's Herod, the Roman ruler of uh, uh, and uh, he just thought, oh, I heard that Jesus was doing all these things. Hey, I want to see some magic show, too. Well, that was, that was wrong. And, of course, uh, Jesus wouldn't just give in to his demands. Number three, it's wrong for skeptical unbelievers to seek miracles simply to find ground to criticize those who preach the gospel. And a lot of times in the academic world, I see people saying, no, we shouldn't circles today. Don't pray for miracles. That was, that's from a previous age. And I, and I don't think that's right. But the verse they use is an evil and adulterous generation. Matthew 16, 4, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. And my answer to the people who say, this proves we shouldn't seek miracles. If we're seeking miracles, we're an evil and adulterous generation. My answer to them is, you people, you always teach students to look in the context of the verse to see what the verse means. Let's look at the context of this verse. The context of this verse is not needy, sick people, blind people, lepers, people coming to Jesus to be healed. The context of this verse is hostile, skeptical unbelievers looking for opportunity to criticize. Look at this. 
the Pharisees and the Sadducees came and, and to test him, to test him. This was their purpose, not to, not to glorify God, not to seek to care for those in need, not to enhance people's ministry, not to remove barriers to ministry, not to show God's compassion, not to glorify God, but to test him. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. In the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. I think what Jesus is saying is, I'm healing all these people. I'm casting out demons. I'm healing leprosy and blindness and all these diseases. That's a sign that the kingdom of God has come, and it's advancing in the earth. And you don't recognize that. You don't know how to interpret this sign of the times. And then Jesus said, an evil and adulterous generation, that's you skeptical, hostile critics. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah, which was Jesus' resurrection, which was coming. And all would know about that. Uh, so he left them and departed. So uh, yes, I think that's a full motive, just to look for opportunity to criticize. And signs and wonders do not save people, but the gospel saves people. I think we have to remember that. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So it's the preaching of Christ crucified that he died to take the penalty for our sins, that message that the Holy Spirit uses in people's hearts to awaken them to faith, that's what saves people. Now, when Jesus proclaimed the message that he came, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost, to give his life as a ransom for many, when Jesus came preaching, it, he came also bringing a demonstration of the power of God and signs and, and, and wonders and miracles. So they went together. They went hand. When the apostles preached, they preached this gospel, but miracles accompanied that, and they went hand in hand. So there was, so but the but the but the gospel itself saves people. So, and I, I remember, I remember a pastor of a church we went to in Evanston, Illinois, talking about one time they were having an evangelistic meeting in Evanston, and this. Uh, <laughs> this kind of, this evidently gang member came in and he was deaf in one ear and uh, they prayed for him and he got his sight back and he said oh thanks and he walked away <laughs> he got his I'm sorry he got his hearing back yeah and and he didn't he didn't <laughs> sorry <laughs> thank you Margaret yeah strange result okay I can't get away with anything up here all right um so and it was kind of I don't know why God did that. Maybe later in his life, somehow, that'll, God will bring it to mind and use it. But, but that didn't save him. The, the, it's the message of salvation that saves people. So, uh, so number one, we shouldn't seek for personal gain or fame. Number two, we shouldn't seek miracles to be entertained. Number three, we shouldn't seek miracles just to find ground to criticize. And number four, we should realize that it has to be the gospel, not the miracles that save people. But having said that, it seems to me throughout the New Testament, throughout the New Covenant age, until the day Christ returns, there's nothing inappropriate in seeking miracles for proper purposes to confirm the truthfulness of the gospel message, as in Jesus' life, as in the apostles' life, as in the early church. 
Number two, to bring help to those in need. And I talked about praying for this mom who had cancer and she had four little kids at home. We just prayed for the Lord would help her because the kids needed her. Uh, number C, to remove hindrances to people's ministries. And uh, number four, to bring glory to God. For those good purposes, there's nothing wrong with seeking miracles. In fact, after Pentecost, the, the church prayed for boldness to preach the gospel and for God to grant miracles to accompany its preaching. Acts 4, 29 to 30. Here's the early church praying in the midst of persecution and hostility. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Okay, so here's the message. Here's the gospel message, the word. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They're expecting that it's both. It's the word and it's the demonstration in people's lives of the power of God. Um, and here's a, here's a command in the book of James. James is not written even to a specific church. written to all, he says, to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. He's written basically to all the Christians in all the churches in the, in the civilized world at that time. And uh, James, in writing that book, to all these churches, says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And um, and uh, as I've said, uh, we do this at Scottsdale Bible Church uh, because uh, very frequently, uh, the first few minutes of an elder meeting, uh, elder board meeting, someone will come, and Pastor Darrell or now uh, Pat Sullivan or someone will just put a little bit of oil on the person's head. We'll lay hands on the person and pray where people have come for prayer for serious illness. And, and it isn't just elders, though, because I didn't put the next verse on there. But let me read the next verse. James 5, 16. I think elders are just given here as a pattern for others to imitate because verse 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So I think the elders do it, but it's a pattern that everybody should do, because the next verse says, pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous power has great, a prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And then he gives the example of Elijah, and he was a man like us. And he prayed, and this happened, and he prayed again, and this happened. So, oops. <laughs> so, um, Martin and I have been in different situations, in different church situations, in different settings, in different parts of our lives. And from about 1989 to 94, we were in a, a, a couple of different churches associated with the Association of Vineyard Churches. Uh, and um, um, we, in the first three or four years there, we, we saw just a lot of really unusual things. God answering prayer in remarkable ways for for uh, physical healing often, but for relationships and, and jobs and other kinds of things like that. And then sort of, and then God led us to a different situation. We ended up in a Southern Baptist church. At, we were in a Southern Baptist church before that, and we ended up in a Southern Baptist church after that. And then we came here, and we're in a Bible church. And so we're thankful to be here. But it was very interesting that we went through a season in that vineyard church where we saw three three, three, four years of really unusual things happening and uh, much more frequent to prayer than we had seen before in our lives. 
And then it sort of died down, and it wasn't happening so much. And Margaret and I were talking about this, and I said to Margaret, you know, I believed that this was true before I saw it happening because I read it in the Bible. And now I believe it's true when I don't see it happening because I read it in the Bible. And so my conviction about this is, it seems to me as I went through those verses last week that in the churches of Galatia, the Christians in Corinth, and these are epistles written here, James, to the general body of believers throughout the New Testament age, that this is what God is going to do in the church age. And it's right for us to pray and, and, uh, and, and, and hope and, and seek answers in this way. Now, you want to give me some feedback on that? Yeah, Sandy? Ah, and we have a, a miracle sitting in the very front row in front of us. John, amazing, amazing. amazing. I was two years ago when we were down at Yeah. Um, two years ago when we were down at Tubac was the most emotional mm. experience that John and I have ever had. Mm -hmm. And they did the hands-on with yep. John, if those who were in Tubac remember. Mm -hmm. And John was just getting ready to start intensive chemo. And for very advanced cancer. Stage four. I mean, mm. in my naivety, I said, how many stages are there? And they said four. Mm. I mean, John's in the last stage of cancer, and this was two years mm -hmm. ago. Yeah. So I... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Praise I, God. Exactly. I just, yeah. I mean, whatever you're saying, I agree. That's <laughs> walking proof. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thankful. Thankful, John. Thankful for you. You look good. He's not saying a word. <laughs> yeah, we're thankful. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Lord. E.G. As it relates to uh, praying for miracles, makes me think. Um, communicate quite a bit with so many of our mates who are really on a tough battlefield. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. And um, I wonder if that wouldn't be a good thing to add to our prayer list. Mm -hmm to pray for miracles in yeah. their service. Because mm. mm -hmm. I, I just think so often, if in these, the 1040 window or whatever, if there were more miracles performed, yeah. Yeah. I mean, these missionaries work for years yeah. and have a handful of converts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And perhaps that would be good to add to the yeah. prayer list. Yeah, that the Holy Spirit would be pleased to Answer their prayers in a remarkable way. Whether you want to call it miracles or not, I think probably the word miracles is good. And then, E.G., I'm going to have to say to you what I say to everybody who says this. Well, shouldn't we pray this for the hard situation the missionaries are in? Yes, I think so. But then my mind thinks this. What about our own neighborhoods? Well, See, I mean, aren't we in kind of a situation where a lot of people are hardened to the gospel? They've heard it so. They've heard it. bumper stickers and tracts and TV and radio, and they, they just, they're hardened to it, and it's just not breaking through. And they go for years and years and years without responding. And and um, and if we find opportunity to pray for a neighbor who is sick, a non-Christian, I, I love to pray for non-Christians when there's a need in their lives. And um, just it doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out prayer. Just, Lord Jesus, will you please meet this person's need or heal this little girl or, or heal this person or, or give my friend a new job because he just lost his job or heal this marriage, whatever. Praying out loud in the non-Christian's presence. I've seen a number of cases 
where just as I pray, just for a minute or so, the sense of the Holy Spirit being present, the sense of the power of God and the presence of God will come on the person right then. And, and, the, and the person will know, wait, there's something going on here that uh, I'm not aware of. I don't understand. But it's, it feels like it's from God to me, that kind of thing. So who else? Yeah, over here. Ed and Mabel Pittman. Ed thinks I should share that. Um, when we were in Taiwan and also in Japan, anyone who knows me well knows that I have a problem about the uh, angels. I mean, I hear all these stories, but the Lord showed me that I didn't know everything because he absolutely sent me an angel two or three times. Can you hear me? Yeah. Two or three times. and uh, An angel. An angel. I mean, I cannot believe. I didn't mm. ask for one. I didn't ever expect one. Mm -hmm. But they had skin on, and <laughs> I thought, and yeah. then they were gone. Wow. Just, it was in, in a time of need. Very much so. And uh, mm. so yeah. it took any fear away from being anywhere because I believe God can really do Thank that. Thank you, Mabel. And you've been on the mission field for years in some hard situations. That's wonderful. Yeah, I didn't talk about angels, but appearances of angels would kind of fall in this category, wouldn't it? Yeah. Good. Okay. Anything else? Ah. Yeah, I'm just curious. You know, the, the uh, leaders who de-emphasize miracles, is it because they want to have those, have believers focus more on the truth of the Word of God? Because I think the, the, the issue around the world is people rely on their feelings as being truth versus the Word of God, and feelings lie. And you can, you know, I listened to the story of, you know, all these healers. I remember seeing a guru many years ago before I was a Christian, and I sensed, God, oh, what the power from this man. Yeah. But he wasn't preaching the gospel of Christ. Right, then it's wrong. So, so, you, yeah. so, so I think feelings can divert us away from the truth. Yeah. And can that be part of the reason that leaders want people to focus on the okay. Word of God and not what they feel? Mark, I'm just, I, thank you for bringing that up, because... Um, if people follow feelings apart from the word, then they'll be led astray. But people have taken that truth and just taken half of it and just this and say, oh, feelings are dangerous. And so they shy away from anything where there's strong emotion or strong feelings. My goodness, when God meets people, it's going to be emotional. There are going to be strong feelings. There are going to be tears and they're going to be weeping and they'll be sobbing and they'll be shaking and trembling. And uh, if we're just, if, if we are afraid of all of that, then I think we'll miss out on and shut out the work of the Holy Spirit, which isn't just in our intellect. It, 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 the Holy Spirit touches us in our whole, our whole body. So uh, I just, I'm really glad you brought that up. Because I, I, really, I think that among people who are so arm's length about no miracles don't happen today, don't pray for them, don't seek them, that there's, a, I think, a miss understanding there's a misplaced fear of anything that that we feel deeply or emotionally and and it seems to me that people who are the most deeply grounded in the word and know the bible the most are are the least likely to be led astray by a deeply emotional experience or feelings they'll they'll filter it and and understand it within the parameters of the teaching of the word of god so we've got this we've got this sad situation that I kind of perceive in the in the in the in the Christian world where you've got people over here all emotion and no word and then you got people over here all word and no emotion see and so there's these people and then there's these people 
And, and what I want to say to these, and I've said in writing, you know, you guys need each other. <laughs> you could do some good for each other. You people, you, you could listen to the word a little more. And, and you people, you, you, you could feel things a little bit and it wouldn't hurt. That's, that's okay. Am I? Thanks. Well, yep, what's your name in back? Yeah, my name is Richard, and um, with the Jesus Film Project, I uh, I like to get the miracle reports that they send sometimes. Yes, yes. A yes. thousand languages, well, 992 languages yes. translated. Yes. And um, uh, there's a lot of miracle reports, and I asked about them, and he says they don't. A lot of them they don't put out because yeah. people don't like to hear it. Yeah. And uh, they're they're pretty dramatic. I can give you one I heard last Monday from him. Did you want to hear it? Who is this from? This is uh, from somebody on the staff with the Jesus Film okay. Project. There's yep. 240. Yep. And um, in Burkina Faso, there's this woman who tried to pull out her daughter from seeing a Jesus Film Project. So she did. And then when she got home, she became immediately blind. Mm. She tried to get her neighbors to take her to a witch doctor to put a curse on them. But her neighbors tricked her and brought her back to the Jesus Film showing. She believed. Then after the film was over... Yep. And she had put her trust in Christ. See, uh, the Jesus film team prayed over her, and her yep. sight came back. Yep. So that's yep. just an example. Yep. And, yeah. Yep. Now, see, that's Campus Crusade for Christ, which traditionally has not been weird or anything, but just stuff's happening. So I, I spoke two years ago to the, the staff, uh, 100 people of the Jesus film, uh, at, at a conference up in Colorado. And one of the other speakers there was the director of the Jesus Film Project for the whole whole Arab world. And he, in speaking, he also narrated uh, where he had just gone to a village and just like two days before, someone had actually died and been in a hospital and, and taken to a hospital, was dead for half hour or something, and people gathered around and prayed, and the person came back to life. And I talked to him afterward, and I said, you know, a lot of people don't believe this can happen today. And he said, I know, but <laughs> these people were very reliable, mature people in this village in, in an Asian uh, country. And he said they were telling me it happened. So I think it's happening uh, more, than we, more than we realize. And I'm thankful for that. And see, that's in connection with the proclamation of the gospel, true proclamation of the gospel. So... So I'm thankful. Uh, I'm just trying to, Trent, go ahead. Just one more, putting all this thought into how will we recognize the Antichrist because I've always understood that he was going to be like a miracle worker and a yep, savior yep, to the world. Yep. He, I've always understood that he would become, like, he would be appearing to be a genuine Christian. Uh, so could you elaborate on that? I think there's going to be false doctrine. It's it's a deceptive science to, to lead astray, and so there'll be there'll be denial of uh, the of the of the atonement and saving power of Jesus' blood and the cross. Be, Satan isn't going to proclaim that; he hates it. Okay, be denial of the Trinity, probably denial of the deity of Christ. There'll be there'll be false doctrine. So there's the test. That's why we don't get led astray. All right, how are we doing on this? I was going to. Finish this quickly and then um, start on the section on prayer, which will take us two or three weeks. It's really related. It feeds into it.
But as I look at the time, and we've got out at uh, 9.15, I think we'll just go to the next slide here. Bob, go ahead. Before we do that, uh, in kind of uh, consistent with what your teaching has been today, uh, I would like to ask the class to join me in prayer uh, for Wayne. Uh, about six years ago, I was afflicted with shingles. And uh, I tell you, it, it's... It can be the most debilitating thing that you can imagine. As a matter of fact, uh, our daughter, who's a doctor, uh, had done some research on shingles after I got it and found out that in Canada, a study had been done that reflected that the number one source of suicide in Canada was shingles. So it's no small thing. It has a funny name to it, but it is not a funny illness. So I'd like to have the class join me in prayer for you and at the same time as I'm thinking about that John Blackman is in the hospital um, uh, I, I think there was somebody oh uh, Jay, uh, uh, Butler uh, Jay mm -hmm. Carter is recovered okay. surgery so uh, and Bob let, let me say kind of because when when I get done then I always think of things I should have said um, my purpose here is to encourage our faith and to encourage us to seek the Lord, always recognizing that God doesn't always answer. And I realize that. But I think he often answers and probably is willing to answer more often than we recognize. So, And when he doesn't, then we leave it in his hands and trust him. So, okay. Um, John wants got one more thing to pray for. Okay, so it's not too. How about three or four people only want to come and lay hands on me? That'd be fine. Yeah, I don't. I just because it's too. It's, we're out of time, and okay. Yeah, if sure. one or two would like to join me, okay. that would be fine. John, Great. why don't Thanks. you, since you're the yeah. recipient of prayer? <laughs> I'm going to be happy to have you pray for me, John. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I need you. Oh, Lord, okay. most most merciful Father, we just thank you so much for our dear brother. Uh, Lord, men uh, know the pain that's associated with. Lord, uh, we'd ask that you would place your healing hand as, as you're the great physician on Wayne. And Lord, uh, just remove this affliction. And Lord, at the same time, uh, we think of Jack Butler and, mm. and, uh, and John Blackman uh, suffering from pneumonia. Uh, Lord, we just pray that you would heal their bodies too. And Lord, I know there are others in the class who have asked for prayer from time to time and, and some uh, who are even reluctant to. So Lord, we just pray that as we've studied this last couple of weeks about miracles, Lord, that uh, you, would, you would just uh, work a miracle. Lord, we're all the beneficiaries of many miracles. Uh, our salvation alone is a miracle. Uh, marriages resurrected from the dead is no different than Lazarus. <clears throat> being resurrected. So, Father, you are in the miracle business, and we ask for one, uh, for Wayne, for Jack, uh, John, and all others who need and in, in pain today. And, Lord, these things we pray confidently and expectantly in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's stand and sing, and then we need to get out quickly. Thank you so much.